This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gabber, Saturday, July 11th, 2020. Dornall, how was your week? Hey, man. It's pretty quiet around here. I'll tell you what, we've got beautiful weather up here in the Pacific Northwest. So I've just been taking it easy. Walks on the beach at the at Lake Washington. Uh, gaming in the evenings. Enjoying the beach before they take it away from you again. Indeed. Uh, they've got, uh, they've made sure the, of course, signs everywhere. Hey, stay six feet apart or we will close this beach. Nobody cares. And uh, and it's it's on the lake, and there's <clears throat> there's waterfowl everywhere. So the beach itself has a bunch of warnings about the bacteria levels in in the lake, like <laughs> closed to swimmers. <clears throat> the good news is that the swimmers actually obey those signs. Uh, it's great. Uh, I have some I have some good and or interesting news. Uh, what I've been working on this week. You may be pleasantly surprised to find out that I've been putting in the work to renew my efforts to host a Dungeons and Dragons game online. This is a project that I really wanted to work on to play face to face, but I, I think we're going to be in social distancing mode for a little while longer. I can. I feel I can. like that silence meant I was supposed to say something. I was. Meanwhile, I was, I was hoping for a follow-up question so I could oh, talk about it more. On the mic, on this end of the mic, I was just nodding sagely, like yes, yes, probably in social distancing and/or locked at home for a while. Yes, that's true. Probably. You're true. right. Yes, I could see that happening. I'm gonna I'm gonna bite the bullet and play more games online. It's it's a shame because I I really enjoy bouncing dice across the table. Uh, but the folks I I would game with around here are keeping it indoors. Um, yeah, we're I I've decided to learn a new system. This is a brand new system they released in 1981. The uh, it's it's commonly known as BX in your in your OSR friendly circles on MeWe. The Holmes, yeah, Moldvay Holmes. And so I've uh, I've been putting in the work, putting together a a, a big game, a, a world to explore, stocking a map with cool dungeons. Going to start with. Of course, the venerable B2 keep on the borderlands with the Caverns of Thracia, the, the big mega dungeon that I've already executed. So between between the venerable classic and the one that I've actually run for years, I've got a lot of... I know how to run these modules, so learning these old rules is going to be the focus of what I work on when I when I run this game. And you know what the nice thing is about playing D and D, the most, the oldest and most popular role playing game ever. 
I was waiting for you to say online. Online. The nice thing about playing online, I had a whole joke set up for that. What is the nice thing about playing online, D-Dub? No body odor. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And and uh, if people are respectful with their mic muting, you don't have to lis- <laughs> listen to that one guy who's just crunching Doritos the whole night. <laughs> Man, screw that guy. <laughs> Always a good time having them muted. Hey, thanks for hanging out in chat. It's good to see people hanging out. Matthew Martin uh, has taken the time because we are on the internet, Daddy Warpig. He has he has taken the liberty to correct us on the edition of of D and D. Moldvay is BX. Holmes is a different edition. Oh, is Holmes B E C M I? No, Beckme is the eighty three um, BX plus master and companion and and immortals or something like that. Um, that that was sort of in '91. They sort of rolled all those rules together into the Rules Cyclopedia. Do you remember that book? I do. I have a friend who swears by that book. It's a it's a fantastic book. Actually, I I uh, instead of pay top, paying top dollar for an original copy, you can get a a, a printed out version from Drive Through RPG. It's basically it's basically a printout of the PDF, and it's kind of cheaply bound, but it's nice to have to have hard copy of it on real paper again. Um, Holmes is the, uh, Holmes is the proto, proto AD&D. I don't know what, uh, I don't know when that came out. AD&D was, uh, the monster manual I know came out in like 1979. Yeah. It was basically the same time as BX. They, they, they went two different product, uh, directions with the product. Um, it's great. I think that what to me though, there's for all the for all that people complain about how good one edition is versus the other. If you, if I start this game with BX and I decide <clears throat> I don't like the rules for whatever reason, they don't they don't do a thing for me. It's not really that much work to continue the game in a different edition. It's it's really not that much work to change it to a third edition game. Now you may have to go in with a chainsaw and hack out a bunch of rules that have been added on. Third edition could really use a good streamlining, but you know what I'm saying. D and D D and D original D and D isn't that much different from A D and D isn't that much different from third edition isn't that much different forgive the heresy from fifth edition. Um, but the differences in those rule sets do produce drastically different games, which is why people have preferences of one over the other. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into more detail on that because I'm going to put everybody to sleep. The only thing you're reminding me of, which is hilarious is how hardcore um, Jeffra was about dungeon crawling being the core of D&D and everything about D&D and anything else was a irrelevant um, add-on that you should get over with as swiftly as possible to get back to the core of D&D, which is dungeon crawling. Then did you have you seen his posts today? I haven't seen today's post. 
Uh, he's got a thread. Like, I want to say 15 tweet thread. That's a good thread. I'm, geez. It's a good thread. I'm not trying to... I'm not knocking it. It is a really good threat. Uh, but the funny thing is, he's talking about as his campaign is developed through play, um, he's found out that people, or at least his players in this situation, have just not wanted to go back to the grind of doing a mega dungeon week after week after week and have started focusing on a bunch of other things. Um, and so the mega dungeon has kind of drifted to the side. That's great. And I'm like, oh, I guess it's a good thing I didn't argue with him back then because, uh, you know, there it is. He came around. <clears throat> I, well, there's, there's... Right, it's not a hard and fast rule, but I think if you observe the behavior of a lot of especially the original groups who, who developed AD&D, right, from, from D&D. Once they had this cool system for leveling up characters and getting treasure and whatnot, they, they didn't seem to spend a lot of time on that other stuff, right? They'd, they'd hit high level and they'd retire, right? Yeah, okay, my character builds a castle. And all right, let's, let's manage your kingdom. No, no, I'm going to just roll a new level one guy because that other stuff, that was the fun stuff. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad Jeffro's players are, are coming around to the other stuff. But it's true. Uh, and I think that is one of my main critiques of the latest edition of Dungeons & Dragons, which is, remember when I said that differences create vastly different games, uh, the fifth edition feels like a superhero game. And when we reached the end of the mega dungeon I was running, there's nothing for the players to do, right? I, I could have created a wider world with more dungeons to explore and things like that. Um, I, chose to, I chose to end the game instead. But the, the, nothing in the rules gives you ways to go beyond that. It's just go have bigger adventures against stronger monsters and villains and whatever. There's no rules for setting up kingdoms, no rules for dealing with uh, whatever whatever high ex accomplished adventures or high-level characters might have to deal with. Uh, stuff that was a part of the original games a long time ago. Weird. I love... Uh... Role-playing games, and the biggest tragedy of the last long time is I haven't ever, I haven't gotten to play it, especially my favorite ones, like Shadowrun is one of my favorite role-playing games of all time. I could sit down and do like second edition Shadowrun, you know, week in after week out, and I would love to play more Shadowrun, um, and I'd love to give. AD&D, you know, quote-unquote, first edition, another try uh, under somebody who knew what they were doing. Um, it is one of my favorite hobbies, and the biggest tragedy of my life related to the hobby, not the biggest tragedy of my entire life, 
the biggest tragedy of my life related to the hobby is I just haven't gotten to do it as much as I've wanted. Mm -hmm. It's been a constant frustration to me that life's circumstances have consistently put me in situations where I can't role play as much as I want to. And I'm not even talking about like two times on the weekend plus a half day Sunday. <laughs> I'm talking about like, oh, I'm going to be living in a place uh, with a bunch of strangers and I'm going to be working all weekend for my new job. And I won't be able to role play for the next check my watch uh, year and a half. Dope. Check off a year and a half of not being able to role play. Um, Dag, it is really, really frustrating. Um, but man, there's so much good stuff out there that you could do. And so much good stuff out there that I want to do. Like I always wanted to play in a superhero role-playing game of one kind or another. I, I don't even have a specific one in mind. Pause. Let me pause while I take a sip. I don't even have a specific one in mind. Uh, I just wanted to, you know, play a long-term superhero role-playing game. So many things I wanted to do that I've I've never really gotten the chance, and it's uh, it's creepifying and and, and, and obnoxious. Sorry, man. I don't, I don't have a point to that except to say, you know, role playing is great and I love it. And this is actually going to be my point. The that whole rant started off with me thinking about what Jeffro's doing. The reason why Jeffro changed is because he's not running what you would call modules or adventures. Um, and I want to take a step back to start with like railroady things, right? where you have a rigid determined plot and the players go through that plot and that's the adventure. Uh, good or bad, throw that to the side. The next step back from that is you have a villain or villains who have a plan and they're enacting their plan and the players get caught up with it and stop it or at least interfere with it or whatever. So that's not a railroady adventure. That's just the players, you know, stumbling across a bad guy and and chasing clues down and, and hunting him down and whatever. Theoretically, they could walk away from that, um, but that would just let the villain get to do whatever he wants to do. But you take a step even further back from that and what you've got is the players making their own goals and there isn't a strong time limit because you don't have a villain doing something necessarily right now. You don't have a, you know, what is it? Like The Rock. You've seen the movie The Rock, right? Sure. Where you have, you know, those guys have stolen the missiles and they're doing their thing to try and get money. That's a villain plan that you need to stop. 
or a James Bond movie, right? Like Moonraker, um, where they're going to send stuff up into space and launch it and launch this poison to cover the surface of the planet with poison and kill off everybody, but the best and brightest that this villain has gathered. That's a villain plot. And that puts a large consequence and a time limit on the players to where you've got to act now and stop this plot now or there are going to be severe problems. Now, that's not railroady in the sense that every action the players take is dictated. No, you're supposed to team up with this NPC who's a real snob and you hate him. And you're supposed to fall in love with this princess and, and take her all around with you. It's not a railroad, but it is kind of, you know, thumb on the scales to what you're supposed to do. Because if you walk away from that, something bad is going to happen. Um, and, and that's not a bad way to play. I'm not trying to insinuate that that's a bad way to play. In fact, a lot of the time it's a great way to play. But if your players get 100% used to that, then they're basically stop being self-motivated. They get used to having, you know, okay, here's a bad guy doing bad things. And they're like, yes, let's go do that. And when they don't have that, they don't really know what to do with themselves. <laughs> they're completely at a loss for, well, what do we do now? <laughs> Sit around and wait for a bad guy to show up? I don't know. We've never had this problem before. I imagine superheroes are kind of like that if a comic book world were real. You know, they get at some downtime, they start looking at each other and feel it weird because usually uh, Dr. Destroys a lot would have shown up and invaded their home base by now and tried to kill people. Um. But then at the other end, and this is where it's going to get back to Jeffro, I promise. I'm not just ranting. I haven't lost my place. You have my word. Down at the other end, what you have are completely self-motivated players who have decided the, what they want to do. You know, okay, well, here's the dungeon. We could go in, kill some monsters, try to get the treasure. Or we were trying to negotiate with the church of, you know, the Holy Sepulchre so we could uh, arrange for um, arrange for diamonds to be delivered in bulk from the mine we liberated last week uh, so that we would have a ready supply of resurrection spells or, or uh, bring, you know... What, what, what was the spell that requires the big diamond? The um, big diamond? Yeah, the diamond that you use as a material component for clerics to bring you back from the dead. I don't think it's resurrection. I think it's raised dead. Raised dead. Um, because you lose some, some of your levels or something with raised dead that you don't get with resurrection. But it requires a thousand GP diamond, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Um. See, that's actually a viable goal for players. There was a, a mine, a diamond mine, they found that 
um, was filled with monsters and the miners are looking for people to help. So they go into the diamond mine, they clear out the monsters, they arrange for, you know, the miners to come back. And then furthermore, they pay for guards to come. And this is entirely on their own, right? The, the game master didn't intend this. So the players entirely on their own hire guards to come and garrison the mine. So other beings don't come in and try to take over it again. And then as kind of their payment, they get um, a portion of the mine's product in these thousand gold piece diamonds. And I'm making this up off the top of my head. I'm just saying this is a fort. For example, this isn't anything I've heard from anywhere. They get uh, part of the mine's output in return for making the miners completely safe. They take the thousand gold piece diamond and they arrange for a secure caravan to run that into town to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre so that they're sort of prepaid with these diamonds in case they ever need to catch, uh, to, ha to have a raised dead cast on one of the party members. That's smart. Mm. That's thinking tactical. That's being prepared. That's using the resources available to you in the world and taking advantage of it and uh, taking the initiative, right? Being aggressive. Um, and those are the kinds of things I'm not sure exactly what Jeffro's players have been doing. Those are the kinds of things that smart players can do to play the game well, what they call elite players. Um, and so I find that that's the kind of thinking that tends to atrophy under a lot of you know, here's the big villain and here's his plot because the players are used to getting served up um, exciting adventures every session. Uh, that's absolutely true. I've got, and, and I can prove that with an anecdote. And as we all know, anecdotes are the strongest arguments in favor of something. Yeah, the plural of anecdote is data. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I I did I jumped in for one session of an ongoing game, and and uh, I was you know some old friends at work. Uh, I, I love these guys, and and the dungeon master says, "Well, this is actually a good time for you to sit in, John, because uh, they're kind of just doing a side quest right now. They're they're doing a job for you know the captain of the guard to do such and such." And I said, "Oh, that's great, you know." So I roll up a character, jump in, and and the the scenario was something like there's a a, sh a ship run by slavers just pulled in. It's it's anchored off the shore, and it's supposed to be delivering supplies. Your job is to commandeer the ship, you know, claim the supplies, claim the ship, however you can, and uh, you know as we start going out there, like preparing the, you know, the dinghy, we're going to go out there. So I asked, I asked the regular players, all right, guys, uh, what's, what's our game plan? What are we going to do? And how do we get out? And, and they just sort of, they pause for a moment. One of them says, oh, I figured we were just going to row up to the ship and see what happens. 
that's that's what you get. <laughs> that's what you get when when uh, when and that's perfectly fine. It's fun for a lot of people, but that uh, that sort of I had the hamster wheel running in my head at that point. I was like, uh, this isn't. That's not how you know. <laughs> Uh, so we we came up with a with a half baked plan uh, right off the top where we would we would try to bluff our way onto the ship and then once we were on deck we would we would we'd unsheathe our swords and see what happened. Uh, it turned out all right, but yeah, you're absolutely right that that that's actually what happens is that uh, people have fun. It's an enjoyable game, but when they've done enough of those adventures, they lose the initiative to sort of do things on their own, you know, to set their own agendas. And some people like to play that way. I just, I don't want to throw that out. Like some people just like that and and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. So and this is something I'm thinking about. I think railroading where you have a plot and players are forced to follow along with it, obviously bad. Mm -hmm. I find the high player uh, agency, you know, type of play to be really appealing. Um, but it does require players who are active and energetic and willing to play at that level. Sure. Uh, and on the other hand, the whole villains having a plot, I don't know, mean a story plot. I mean, villains having a plan and enacting it is also really, really fun. That is great fun. As long as you're, you know, you know what you're doing, uh, as a as a game master, if you know what you're doing, that style of play is great. And there are some kinds of games, some and I mean some genres of games where that simply has to be the style, like comic book games. Yeah, it's always your villain of the week for yeah. the plot. That's just what comic book games are. I mean, sorry. Um, so it, it depends on the genre of the role-playing game you've got. It depends on the players. You have to know the players you're playing with. And, uh, like if you've got a lot of newbies, what you really want is to balance that out with a veteran who's going to be able to kind of show them how to be aggressive and show them how to make goals and go after goals. Um, you don't want you don't want people who are entirely passive and teaching them how to be aggressive on their own is a uh, that's a great a great aid if you can get a player who can do that and at the same time uh, if you get Um, you know, know your group. I think that's the golden rule for GMs. 
Like that's the number one rule is know your group. Sure. And that's also difficult. That's not an easy thing to do sometimes, especially if you're playing with people you haven't met before. Uh, it's typically a trial and error thing. I'm kind of rambling now, but yeah, let me save you from that. I, I you did spark a thought in me is, which is a reminder to everybody is that we're thinking about what sorts of experiences do different games provide and, and what experiences are good or better than others. And, and you talked about teaching and, and I want to remind myself and everybody that role-playing is a social game. It's a social experience. It's not, um, if you treat it like you're sitting down to play a game of Diablo and you're just going to mash the monsters and, and get your loot and level up your character, that's, that's, you're just treading the surface of what a role-playing game is. And frankly, you're, you're going to be one of those obnoxious, you know, asocial kids at the game store, comic book guy, comic book store guy. But if, but it's it's a game that rewards being social and working together with other people. When you're bringing new people into the hobby, it's a type of game that must be taught. There's there's a lot of board games and things that you can learn from reading. And one of the nice things about the earliest editions of Dungeons and Dragons is that the folks at TSR really tried to figure out how to communicate to the whole world how to play. We don't have that luxury anymore, to be honest. The the role-playing books that are out all assume that you kind of know how to play already. And the, you'll get the most reward out of the game if you really sit down with your friends and, 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 and most of the time, teach it and learn it. Most of the time, the things they assume are wrong. That's true. Uh, it's sort of like, well, I don't have a good example, but yeah, just it's it's a great social, it's a social event, and it's a game that really needs to be taught. You don't just you don't just hand a character sheet to a new guy and some dice and say, okay, we're gonna play D and D. Just tell me what you do, and I'll tell you what happens. That's yeah, that's the core of the game. That is the the core game loop is is the players describe what they want to do and the ref tells them what happens, but that doesn't really teach them how to play. Um, I think I think Daddy Warpig, we're gonna have to change the name of the stream. So I sure I, that's fine. I, I I bet there's there's a there's half a dozen people who've been sitting here for half an hour wondering when are they gonna talk about Hamilton. I bet every single person listening to this show right now is much happier with AD&D than they would be with <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, we, we've got uh, – I love the I love the guys in the chat because we've got all the live show guys love to talk about role-playing games. Uh, it's it's good to see everybody there. And uh, But I, I do feel bad for anybody clicking on this link on SoundCloud later. <laughs> and – not know if they don't know what they're getting into on the geek app, they're going to be like, I, I, what is this? Is, is Hamilton a new role playing product from Wizards of the Coast? I don't understand. No, we do understand. need to change the name before we upload this later, though. I'm serious. <laughs> I probably should. 
Um, so, that's all I had so, to say about role playing. Uh, so what you're saying is we should actually talk about Hamilton now? I was just about to ask DW, how was your week? Um, my week was fine because uh, I think I watched Hamilton last week. <laughs> now we uh, last week on the show you mentioned that you were uh, you were going to be out for a week. And that was for some for some personal stuff. How's that going? Are you doing well? No, what I said was I was going to be out for a week because I was having major surgery. I I don't recall whether you were specific about the thing. Yes, I was trying to respect uh, your privacy. I'm now twelve days past the major surgery, um, and there have been difficulties inside a you know and stuff, but none of them that were unanticipated. These are all, um, you know, they, they give you a list and say, okay, these bunch of things may happen as a result of the surgery. Uh, nobody usually gets all of them, but these are the things that may happen. So one of them happened to me, um, severe dehydration. Um, so it was not unanticipated. Uh, went to the hospital. They hooked me up to a Hooked me up to a saline bag. Uh, we waited while that pumped liquid back into my veins, and everything's fine. Oh, good. So it wasn't a major thing. It was an expected side effect. Other than that, everything's been fine. My body's healing on time. Uh, the bruises are fading. Uh, the operation went well. Um, there's no internal bleeding or undue pain or I'm actually shocked by how little pain there has been for how major this surgery was. Uh, Knock on wood. I have had a few major surgeries in my life. Um, and I will tell you now that I have always for every surgery I've had avoided the Lortab or uh, oxycodone or whatever they've given me for pain with one exception when I had my wisdom teeth out. I took the hard pain medicine for that as directed because that was the single most painful operation in my life. Oh, wow. I, I have, I have had like severe operations that were not as painful as having my wisdom teeth out. And I don't even know why. Maybe it's just, <laughs> it's not just you, man. Tooth pain, tooth pain is is considered one of the most painful experiences. Like it's so, it's yeah. So if you're asking me how bad was this operation, my answer is not even as bad as my having my wisdom teeth out. <laughs> I had all four of them out at the same time, so maybe that had something to do with it. But mm. yeah. Well, uh, great. I'm I'm glad to hear that uh, it's going well and the recovery is going well. Yeah, I'm, I am fine. I'm on the mend. You can hear my voice is a little bit raspy because I'm still recovering from, you know, dehydration. From, from dehydration. I'm drinking water aggressively. I'm keeping track of it to make sure to drink as much as I need. But other than that, everything's fine. I am as hale and hearty as one can expect. So Fantastic. Uh, so, yeah. Well, I, I speak That's for I, I speak for all the Geek Gab fans when I say I am happy to hear that. 
and I look forward to many, many, many more shows. Um, so Hamilton. 36 minutes later. This is a this is a Broadway musical about Alexander Hamilton, right? Yes, yes, it is. And and on Disney Plus, is it just a recording of the Broadway show? Yeah, well, it's not like a just a recording. I don't even know how to parse that. Um, it's a film of a Broadway performance, uh, or three of them actually. Mm. Three performances of the show that they filmed and then edited together to look like one performance. Uh, oh, although okay. if you if you look occasionally, you can tell that they were recorded on different nights. Like one, uh, one woman's dress, uh, her costume in some scenes will have flowers on it, in other scenes it won't. So you can tell, oh, okay. Well, and one cut will have flowers, and then like two seconds later, the flowers will be gone because those are from two different nights. Got it. Um, Lynn Manuel Miranda, I think I've got that name right, is the guy who wrote Hamilton. If you watched House MD, I watched all of House. Did you watch any House? Sure, I saw a handful of episodes. Did you ever see the year where he was in an insane asylum? No. Okay. I think I might have seen one episode of that, but go on. Um, have you seen 12 Monkeys? Of course. Brad Pitt was Bruce Willis's sidekick in the asylum. Yep. House also had a sidekick in the asylum. And it was Alexander Hamilton. And it was Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda was House's sidekick in the asylum. So, um, he had done some off-Broadway stuff, including a hip-hop opera. Oh, God. Um, with someone who later became, he later cast in the show. Hip hop opera. And somebody made a, wrote a biography of Alexander Hamilton. And he started reading this biography of Alexander Hamilton. Now, reportedly, the biography of Alexander Hamilton is really good and covers a lot of things about, uh, about his life and about his role during the American Revolution. And Alexander Hamilton really was key to a lot of things in the American Revolution. He was uh, one of the people who arranged to make sure that the colonial army had the money it needed to continue to exist. Um, when it came time for the Constitution, he wrote the vast majority of the Federalist Papers. Um, he was uh, George Washington's secretary during the during the war, um, and he even had a hand in creating 
the form of government we live under and coming up with, you know, the Constitution. So he contributed a great deal to the United States. And he had a very colorful life. Um, he was born uh, outside the U.S. on a plantation in the Caribbean. Um, and his father died when he was really, really young. Then his mother died of cholera. He died in her arms and he was sick, but he didn't pass away. And uh, he lived through a hurricane. Um, and they eventually, everybody around him put money together so he could come to New York City and uh, get educated so he can make something of himself and so on and so forth. Um, very intelligent person. Very, uh, very much a ladies' man. So a lot of people are down on Alexander Hamilton. I get the feeling because they don't like the financial system that he set up and they also don't like the play. And so they're kind of down on Hamilton himself. I disagree. Hamilton was a very accomplished person. He did a lot at a very young age and uh, his good or bad, I'm not saying he was a perfect person because he wasn't. I'm not saying all the things he set out to do were great because they weren't, but he did a lot for the country and America today uh, owes a massive debt to Alexander Hamilton. They're indispensable. He was indispensable to America becoming what it is. The Federalist Papers and the Constitution and the former government we live under just for those things, uh, he demands respect. So Lin-Manuel Miranda reads this book and says, by going by golly, Alexander Hamilton, I can make a musical out of that. I can make a hip-hop opera out of that. I'm dramatizing the quote. Don't, you know, that's not the exact quote. <laughs> just, I just want to make that, I want that on the record. This is a this is a dramatization of the playwright's attempt to dramatize the the life of Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, great. So while riding the A train in Manhattan, because he was living in New York at the time, he starts writing the very first song in the play, uh, which is Alexander Hamilton, and it's about how he's not going to miss his shot and. And it's about a bunch of people telling the first 20 years of his life, which is what I just told you. And it's rap. It's wrapped. Um, and they go through and do that. And then he goes through and writes the rest of the play over the next few years. And when he's got the play partially written, he's he was asked to do a speech uh, at some function. And I don't recall the function because this is something I heard in passing a couple of years ago. So you'll have to forgive me for not having uh, being, you know, still partially dehydrated and coming off a of surgery. 
for not having a razor sharp memory so razor sharp as to hear an anecdote once in passing and remember every last detail to give it to you on this show. I am truly sorry for the error of my ways, but he got up and for his uh, part, he performed part of Alexander Hamilton, which people loved. Uh, he got a very great response for it. So he went through, he finished the play. He wrote this entire Broadway play, not just rap, but also the book, uh, songs and music. Um, and he even got Hugh Laurie involved at one point because he wanted King George to be involved peripherally. King George III who was the monarch of England during the time of the American Revolution. And uh, he wanted King George to sing an unrequited love song about his love for the American colonies and how they would be coming back, uh, or how he loved them. Um, and he wanted it to be a song in the style of the British invasion of the 1960s, uh, you know, like the Beatles or something, because it's the British invasion, if you see where he was going with that. He might have drawn some parallels there, yeah. Um, and so he went to Hugh Laurie, who he met through House, and said, you know, I'm writing this song about um the colonies breaking away from great britain and hugh laurie waved his finger in his face and said you'll be back so that became kind of the theme of king george the third's music numbers he has three of them three of the main ones at least as i remember from watching uh you'll be back and they are hilarious they're some of the best bits of the show um and uh they are a hoot to watch and listen to. So he didn't just rap. He didn't just write raps for other people. He also wrote songs uh, in the store in the in the show that show, show up at different times. So he puts the show together, and this is a part of it that I don't know. I don't know the story of what happened next. I have no idea how he managed to talk to someone, talk someone into putting a hip hop opera about Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, who, spoiler alert for something that happened in the 1700s or early 1800s, uh, a show about Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr who shot him um, on while casting, you know, minority actors to play all the parts except King George. Don't know how that happened, how he got funding for that or who produced it or whatever, but it went on Broadway. It was a great big hit, especially, you know, through its first two years, 2015, 2016. Um, but, uh, you know, he did it. So I got to give him props for that. He made his own Broadway play. He got it done on Broadway. 
and he made a ton of cash from it. So congratulations. I mean, anybody who can do that is actually accomplished something. You can say it's a bad musical. You can say it's... Well, that was my follow-up question. Is it any good? Uh, we get to it in just a sec. You can say it distorts history. These are all things I've seen people complaining about, but what you can't say is it wasn't an accomplishment. He really did accomplish something, so congrats to him on that. Is the musical any good? It's very polished. It was clearly made with a lot of talent. Um, and this is a common refrain on the show. All the technical details are really, really well done. Now, this is a, these are recordings from 2016. These three shows from 2016. Um, in fact, they brought back Lin-Manuel Miranda and uh, I think it was David Jones, both of whom had already left the show on Broadway um, after originating their roles to come back and reprise their roles just for this recording. So they've already had a year and a half to perfect the show. They've gotten all those bugs worked out of it. Uh, the raps are well done. The singing, or the songs themselves are well written. Um, it's clear why it could be a Broadway play. It is of a caliber to be on Broadway. Um, it is not a tune-friendly show. It's not something like uh, Phantom of the Opera or Les Miserables. Um, it's not something that you, that's, I would find really amenable to pleasure listening. Um, and, and I like rap. I listen to uh, a lot of rap. But this is not a show, even being wrapped, that I would listen to a lot uh, other than the first time I saw it on the Disney Channel. Uh, also, the Weird Al. Weird Al has done a Hamilton polka um, <laughs> where he took like 15 of the songs from the show. And the show is two and a half hours. He took 15 songs from the show and compressed them down to five minutes. Um, although I should say... Um, it's not compressed. It is condensed. Condensed. That, that's not a fair comparison because uh, Weird Al is more talented than all Broadway composers combined. But yeah. But but your point your point is is uh, taken. What was your point? My point is that the show I I don't find it tune friendly. It's not something you could listen to like. Uh, you, it, From the chorus line, you could listen to I Did It All For Love, sure. uh, and that's a great tune. It's a song you could listen to. From the Fame show, you have Fame. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to learn how to fly high. Um, that went on to become the theme from the TV show. Um, there just aren't many enjoyable tunes, even in rap, from the show. Okay, so you're not going to hear people humming the tunes from you know, for years. Uh, yeah, there's lots just... of. Oh, uh, there's there's a uh, who, oh man, I'm not I'm not good with uh, with musicals. 
there's uh, like the Pirates of Penzance has a song that's that's still in popular culture. There's the from Fiddler on the Roof. There's there's that there's a couple of songs that sort of have leaked into popular culture, but you don't you don't anticipate that happening here. It, for for my ear, no. And and I mean the show's been out for five years now. And there aren't any popular songs in play. I mean, even Chess back in the 80s had One Night in Bangkok became a hit single. And Alexander Hamilton or Hamilton didn't have any hit singles like that. So not a tune, not a toony musical, not a toony opera. Um, so the show isn't a bad show on that level. About the history, I didn't read the book before. I didn't, haven't read the book since. So I'm not going to comment on whether or not it distorts history. All fictional stories dif distort history because history isn't a story. There's no stories in real life. None. Real life isn't a story. Real life is a sequence of events day after day, you know, hour after hour, minute after minute. And stories are retrospective sense-making. We choose when to start, we choose what events to highlight, and we choose when to end. That's how we make a story. So just by making a story, we're distorting history because we're automatically putting, a, we're automatically building a, a, a cage for what really happened. And we're automatically excluding things um, and distorting things and you can distort things to reveal the truth or the focus on specific events and and that is helpful and good or you can choose to focus on things and in just lie you know make up facts and events that didn't happen but sometimes you have to in order to make a story understandable comprehensible to the audience you have to lie and sometimes lying about something can reveal, and I'm not defending Hamilton or attacking Hamilton. These are just, you know, general principles of telling stories about historical events. Um, like Chernobyl, the HBO miniseries about the Chernobyl event, um, it told a lot of lies, but it told lies in, in search of trying to make an emotional impact on the audience that would be close to the truth. Like that last scene that was the most impactful of all the series where he's putting the cards up on the board and showing people what happened. That is absolutely not true. Never happened. Nothing in that scene happened. He, the character wasn't in that place. He wasn't giving testimony like that. He never put the cards up like that. So it's a complete lie, completely distorts history. But a payoff for the audience. It lets them know what happened in Chernobyl, why the disaster happened, and it gives them the full uh, emotional impact of that disaster. So it's a culmination of the entire series, and you needed to lie at that point for the series to land, for people to actually understand what Chernobyl was. So I'm not saying Alexander Hamilton, or Hamilton the musical, may lie maliciously in order to mislead. It may lie harmlessly in order to actually make 
his story make more sense. And it and it may just omit a bunch of things because it's two and a half hours long. I mean, how long do you want the show to be? My goodness. I am not judging because I don't have the facts. I'm just saying, in general, if you wanted to pin me down about the topic of making stories about history, those would be my thoughts. Well, I appreciate your thoughts because it saves me from having to listen to a hip-hop opera. (laughs) I did enjoy the show once. I had the misfortune of listening to it when I was very, very tired and on my way to, you know, the... (laughs) On, on the downslide of dehydration to get to the hospital. And man, I had that show in my head for like five days. I kid you not. I was hearing Alexander Hamilton songs bouncing about my head. Five days. Five days. You have only yourself to blame. I was taking notes for the project. And I was taking them in time to Alexander Hamilton, to the song. That's great. Because I couldn't get the song out of my head. Fortunately, it was rap, so, you know, it's an easy beat to hit. But I'm like, I'm writing down this note, and I'm like, there's something weird about this note. There's something weird about what I wrote. Oh, yeah. I'm wrapping my notes, and it's weird. (laughs) I'm not saying that's going to happen to you, folks. That's you know. Uh, no, I, I think every, sure. I think everybody's notes these days are <laughs> are actually in meter to the to the beats of lo-fi hip hop beats to relax slash study to. On so, yeah, um, I did enjoy the show. It's a good spectacle. It's an enjoyable show. Um, but then again, the I just didn't care about the whole racial thing, about casting all the white people as, as minorities. I realize... It just sounds like a stunt. Cont- yeah, it was a stunt, and that's fine. And it, it helped the show because it got a bunch of guilty white people, guilty rich. That's important because the tickets were hideously expensive. I mean, it sounds it like yeah, of, people who go people go to live Broadway shows. It sounds like they nailed their audience, dead yeah. center. Guilty rich New York leftists. They they hit their audience with that casting. It was a stunt, and I'm not trying to make politics here. That's um, that's shrewd business craft right there. Yep. Again, you got to applaud them. That's showmanship. That's part of showmanship. Knowing your audience and and uh, hooking up with your audience. So that doesn't really affect the show at all. I mean, I, so uh, let me of, let me try and let me try and summarize what I've heard from you so far. Okay. You you. It sounds like you found a. Well done or well rehearsed musical with, uh, you know, about a very interesting subject that was well executed uh, and where it fell short is that the musical numbers themselves are ultimately forgettable. Yeah, I mean, they're good for the show, but they're not going to be, you know, songs you'll be singing. 
unless you're, you know, stuck like I was for five days. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. That's a completely different thing. I mean, it, it was an enjoyable show. It, I'm glad I saw it. It was worth watching once. Um, and it's not a bad show. I mean, judging it on quality, it's not, it's probably better than some of, um, oh, he wrote Phantom of the Opera. He wrote Evita. He wrote, uh, oh, you don't know, do you? They're Broadway Weber. plays. You th are you thinking of Andrew Lloyd Webber? Andrew Lloyd Webber, right. Andrew Lloyd Webber has turned out some clunkers. And it's probably better than any of Andrew Lloyd Webber's clunkers. There you go. Um, probably. No, it, it, it's much better than any of Andrew Lloyd Webber's clunkers. But it is not as good as, uh, say, Les Mis or Phantom of the Opera um, or even Evita. But it's still a good show. It's worth watching once. And if you have Disney Plus, it's a no-brainer. Or if you want to sign up for their free, you know, their free... Uh, trial period and watch it, it's worth it too. Uh, it is not an offensively bad. It's got a couple of stupid political things, but honestly, it's got far less stupid political things than most things I've been forced to watch uh, or chosen to watch for this show. So, uh, yeah. I mean, so so if, if what you're asking is, do you recommend it? I'm like, yeah, I'd recommend it. I honestly would give it a recommend. Hmm. All right. Well, especially if you like musicals. Especially if you like musicals. Yes. If you don't like I, musicals. I'm not a musical guy. I never really liked them. The uh, the musical episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's as far as I'll go. And I'm not sure I could watch that again. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my re review of, of Hamilton. It was Bride. worth a watch. I'd recommend it. Right on time, Daddy Warpig. If I ever find myself in control of a Disney Plus account, I might throw it on for amusement. I think we're out of time for today. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? We've Not got even a little bit. We've got check the clock all day. It's Saturday. <laughs> Do we have any uh, comments or questions from the audience we should run through before we go? Uh, lots of talk about D and D. No major questions actually. Uh, they, we, we found out that uh, Matthew Martin disagreed with your uh, assertion that life isn't a story. He's, he's got the he's got the galaxy brain take there. You could look at it that way. Sure. I don't I don't dispute that. Emmett Fitzhume uh, didn't like the uh, the stunt casting in Hamilton. Rubs him the wrong way. Uh, I think I I empathize. It just lets you know it's the inverse of, of the audience. If if that sort of stunt casting rubs you the wrong way, just accept that you were not the audience. Uh, you weren't you weren't the target demographic. It is what it is. Uh, but other than that, it's cool to have everybody hanging out. Um, I'm glad to see you guys. Uh, they were particularly animated during the AD&D discussion. And uh, it's always good to have you guys uh, listening with us today. And uh, everybody who's listening on a drive or hanging out at the beach or whatever, appreciate you uh, listening to two very, very different halves of a, of a show. 
That's geek gab for you, folks. That is geek gab for you. You knew what you knew what you were getting into. Um, all right, and I'm glad you're well enough to to join us today, Daddy Warpig. That was a great show. Oh my! But I'm I'm done for the week. I'll leave it to you. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in live, and uh, thank everybody who's tuning in later. Uh, this is Geek Gab. We are here just about every week, uh, barring major surgery, just about every week at about this time. Uh, you can check us out on youtube.com slash geekgab. That's youtube.com slash geekgab. Or you can get us on the uh, Apple iTunes store. You can get us on the Google Play store. Or you can get us on soundcloud.com. We, your hosts, are leaving you for today. We are signing out. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will. Be back.